0: I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Rebecca. We're not from Memphis, but we love it. Welcome to Memphis Type History, the podcast. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Mark Fleischer, the guy behind Storyboard Memphis at storyboardmemphis.com. And he is going to tell us about Union and Madison Avenues. And so buckle up, we're going to have a really good time, and we're going to really dive into some of the charming, not-so-charming, and opportunities and wonderful bits about Union and Madison in Midtown Memphis.
1: Oh my gosh, where do I start? Um, well, I uh, I do a little bit of consulting work for the payroll industry, of all things. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Long career. Get, in the,
0: making sure we get our checks.
1: <laughs> that's right. Long career in the pay- payroll industry doing consulting work, and... Uh, been in Memphis for about two years, a little bit less than two years. Kind of parlayed my interest in uh, history in general and uh, various hobbies in writing and historical research into my arrival in Memphis and uh, became immediately interested in Memphis history. It's got such an incredible, incredible history from civil rights back to the, the days of the Civil War. It's got such an incredible history, but it's more than the history that grabbed me. It was really something else that, that grabbed me about Memphis that I can't that I haven't exactly been able to pinpoint. Um, Until recently, I feel like I've pinpointed um, what kind of has driven me to explore Memphis history. But I do a little bit of that, and I started a magazine that I'm calling Storyboard Memphis. And
0: that's mostly how Rebecca and I know you, is from Storyboard.
1: Exactly. I started following you on your uh, Instagram and from your lovely book, uh, which was one of the first books I purchased here in, in Memphis to explore Memphis history.
0: Ooh, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so when you started the podcast is when I reached out to y'all, and I just knew that we all had to talk, and here we are.
0: You have storyboard. I know you, you dabble in some other things. Um, I think storyboard is, is the most, I guess, directly accessible in Memphis history activity Mm -hmm. we can say that you're that you're doing and tell us a little bit about that
1: so storyboard memphis started out first of all as a blog Mm. it was my wife when we when we first got here when i started uh, really exploring the history of the city spending time at the library uh digging into all the digital resources we have and pulling up book after book after book and my wife suggested why don't you start a blog on your discovery of memphis so i thought okay that'd be kind of cool you know and uh, I've done a fair share of writing in my, in my life. So the blog, first of all, became, it was uh, Memphis for New Memphians. But this little blog that could, it's, it started out that way, and I, I really, it, just, it was just off the top of my head, my uh, little discoveries of, of Memphis being new here. The more I got into the history, uh, the more the articles that I was writing became more structured. And the more structured they became, And the more I started to explore various ways to tell stories, the more I realized that I had myself an idea for a magazine and uh, did did my, my research as far as what to call it and eventually settled on the idea of storyboard, which I'm so happy I did because the idea of a storyboard is that folks come in from various talents and skills and contribute their little take on a story. It uh, could be a photograph. It could be a work of art. It could be something written. Uh, it could be a sculpture. And a storyboard is a series of uh, contributors or collaborators. It has slowly but surely evolved into that, where I've gotten a few other contributors and, and collaborators around town um, mm-hmm. who have contributed their, their take on a story, or we've collaborated on a story, or it's been a story of their own completely. And it's again, it's continuing to evolve. So I started, started that part of it, in basically february march of this year but um but the blog is what became the magazine
0: i think that's really interesting because you're kind of going to give us a little bit of a a magazine today because i think you're going to talk to us about midtown neighborhoods and give us a bit of a 101 or a primer on the history of some midtown neighborhoods so we're going to have a little magazine episode today. There we I go. Yeah. Well, I, I have no idea, other than that, what we're going to talk about. So go for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the first thing was um, my first exposure to quote unquote Midtown uh, was from a gentleman out east uh, that I talked to in the first few months I was here. And, uh, you know, you get the questions of, how did you come to Memphis, or where, where did you settle in Memphis, and all that. I said, well, um, we're going to be in, originally the, the first place we lived in Memphis was at the Kimbrough Towers, which um, I had really had no idea at the time that this was considered a Midtown. I didn't know what Midtown was. I didn't know Midtown any differently than I knew Collierville or Germantown. So I discovered that um, that the Kimbro was in this area called Midtown, and, um, and the gentleman I was, that I talked to when I first got here told me that Midtown is kind of like our version of Greenwich Village more eclectic, more entertainment, uh, more diverse restaurants. And I thought, okay, that's that's interesting. And I thought I, first of all, I felt very lucky that I settled in Midtown. And as I discovered, the more I learned about Memphis and Midtown, the more I realized how unique Midtown is to the rest of Memphis. Yeah. And of course, I discovered the borders of Me- of Midtown, which mm-hmm. depending on who you talk to can be you know, any anywhere from the Parkways, East Parkway to South Parkway to North Parkway to Cleveland or the 240, it all depends on who you're talking to.
0: Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, ah, man, I, we can talk about anything, but this is something, this, this is really a fight I just don't want to have. <laughs> but, you know, you're saying it, so it's on you, man.
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting because... Um, I'm on a Midtown board.
0: (laughs) Just step right into that controversy, sure. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So being on a Midtown board, you know, you get into various fights in in Midtown. (laughs) And and suddenly you find yourself um, working with Binghampton. And, you know, so you get involved in a development and you realize that, wait a second, I'm on a Midtown board, why are we why are we stepping in for Binghamton that not uh, they're not really midtown or are they and so that's where the borders kind of stretch out beyond the traditional parkways you know beyond Overton Park mm. and i've talked to people say well i'm i'm near highland which is you know half a mile or a mile east of the parkways and and they say well well i consider myself a midtowner and i think well yeah uh, i don't know so it so there's, there's, um, and I'm using air quotes right now, there's Midtown and there's Midtown, yeah. right?
0: Midtown and Greater Midtown. Greater
1: Midtown, right. <laughs> you know, if you go south of Southern, there are people that say, well, well I live in Midtown as well. And I think, well, and, and I hardly have been down south of Southern. but. So
0: what do you think it is? It's not geography, really. Is it just feeling or is it just it's kind of the closest main area? So... It's just the easiest to identify with, or what's that thing
1: <laughs> what's that thing well there's there's a midtown mindset that would be one okay. that would be one one way to identify midtown. There would be midtown as far as the actual geography um, if I'm a real estate agent, I might be selling a home that's considered midtown even though it's you know, East button or something. So I, I it, it, again, it goes back to who you're talking to, I suppose. And then now you're, how you're framing it, you know, well, I'm going to get myself into big trouble with this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's midtown and what is a midtown. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is great. We're going to get so many downloads.
1: (laughs) Like you said.
0: We'll be like, did you hear about this podcast? They just like talk the whole hour about what's Midtown and what's not. You have to listen and then tell them all about what you think.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: It'll be great. Yeah. What do you think? So, but you said Midtown mindset. So what is that? Let's just dig that hole deeper. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let's, Let's dig even deeper than this. Um, the Midtown mindset. Oh my gosh. I would, I would think it goes back from the people I know. It goes back to the little old ladies who, um, fought for Overton Park and fought the expressway or fought the 240 from going through Overton Park that the Midtown mindset is, um, is, uh, activist. Um, okay. yeah. Now if you're getting into the grammar, grander scheme of things, it's definitely mostly white. You know, when you when you look at the the traditional Midtown, when 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 East Memphis, when downtown, when Germantown talks about Midtown, I think they're really talking about white Midtown, middle class, Central Garden residents, uh, Evergreen residents, people who own businesses up and down Cooper. I think that's what people think of when they think of Midtown from the, from from the rest of Memphis. So the Midtown mindset, (laughs) again, I'm going to dig myself into a big hole here. When you, from looking at the rest of Memphis and their version, their view of Midtown, that's what it might be.
0: Okay. I mean, what would you say? Is that, would you say that that view is what it really is? Or would you say there's a lot more to it?
1: Oh, and there's a lot more to it. It's, right. yeah, Midtown is so eclectic. It's so diverse.
0: Because that's what I always liked about it. We were lucky enough. We first moved to Memphis and, you know, we looked all around for where we were going to live. And we just sort of lucked out on picking Cooper Young. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a huge reason why we loved Memphis so much because we lived in the center of things. And I liked how eclectic it was, especially coming from you know, Mississippi. It was a nice change.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know... Um, more recently, I've discovered, too, that much of Midtown, I feel like, has the most residents in Midtown feel like they have a, a real say in what happens in their city. Where in other parts of Memphis, you go to South Memphis, you go to Frazier, where I think a lot of folks don't feel like they have a say and, and they really have to fight for it. They have to fight mm-hmm. hard for a say in what happens in their neighborhood. Whereas in Midtown, we kind of have the attitude that, no, this is my neighborhood and you're not going to put that bank on that corner. You know, you're not going to put that development on that corner.
0: Interesting.
1: Generally speaking, and, and it could be just the circles that I'm, that, that I'm around. Um, but um, that's what I, when I think of the Midtown persona, you know, I think of those types of things that most, most Midtown residents feel like they have a, a true say in what happens in there. And not just our community, but also in the rest of Memphis to a degree.
0: I, I imagine, so you're going to give us the history of some various greater Midtown areas. And I suppose some of that eclectic feel is going to come out, I- I'm imagining.
1: Sure. Now, I'll do bits and pieces. Okay. Bits and pieces, meaning still being so new here. That is one thing I do love. I love being the outsider, in a sense. Uh, because for me, everything that I learn, it's, it's a branded discovery. You know? And it, it's, that's a handicap, but also an advantage. And the handicap yeah. is is that I just don't inherently know what was on a corner, or what happened mm-hmm. in a certain neighborhood? You know, so I'm discovering these things through through word of mouth, through my through research, through um, talking to older residents. I, I definitely approach history from the outsider's point of view and telling a story around those things. But back to Midtown, if we were to look at the history of Midtown, first of all, it was not always called Midtown. What? What? It was once East Memphis.
0: No, really?
1: Absolutely.
0: Ooh, take that, you (laughs) Midtowners. You're actually East Memphis. You just didn't know it.
1: (laughs) If you were to step into 1920 or 1930, 1940 even, Midtown was East Memphis. In fact, if you go back even further to... 1905 1910 the eastern borders of of memphis were if you go back even far enough you go to dunlip and then from there it would have gone to let's see it would have stopped at cooper or cupper as they as some say <laughs> i had to had to learn that one too that it uh, uh cooper is not cooper it's cupper depending on you know who you talk to and that um mclean yeah. is is pronounced mclean yeah <laughs> but up until uh, 19, I want to say 1909, uh, Memphis ended at the Parkway. And it goes from there. But in those days, uh, what we now know as Midtown was East Memphis.
0: Which is why we have so many big mansions right around there, I believe.
1: That's one of many reasons, actually. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ooh. Are you going to tell me the others? Is that part of this or No maybe. Do I have to have another, I have to have a different Mansions episode, maybe. <laughs> it
1: depends on what I can remember off the top of my head here. If we were to talk about neighborhoods, though, I think the easiest thing for me to do would be to look at some of the more recent stories I've done. And one of the most recent things that I've been working on is kind of doing a little story on Union Avenue. Ooh, Yeah, which when I first got here, because we lived at the Kimbrough when I first when we first got here, and um, from the Kimbrough, we looked over Right onto Union. From a brand new, I can't say Memphian, but a brand new Memphis resident.
0: Oh, so bland.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Union looks like a big mess of fast food restaurants. And it looks like the, the biggest um, city planning mess that you could possibly imagine. No turn lanes. Three lanes Ooh. on each side crammed into small spaces. You know, inconsistent <laughs> sidewalks some areas with no sidewalks except a, a, just a one long driveway that goes along mm-hmm. an entire strip mall you know from my vantage point in the kimbro i probably saw at least a crash a day so you'd look yeah. out there you'd see you'd see yet, yet another someone trying to turn left or turn right or turn out of a out of a storefront and boom you know my first exposure to memphis i thought okay i prefer madison madison looks like her traditional old Street with great storefronts. You've got the, the, the trolley tracks that go all the way up, you know, past Cleveland. Front Street, you know, Front Street's a great street. You know, parts of uh, Peabody. You go up and down Peabody in Central Gardens. That's a beautiful street. And then you look at Union and you, and you kind of think, what the hell happened? <laughs> so as I've discovered, as the more research I've done on Union, I kind of look at Union as kind of like a, the sibling that didn't get all the attention or got the wrong kind of attention or the middle child who didn't get the right attention. Yeah, I feel sorry for Union Avenue now. Looking back at the history of Union, I've discovered that you know it, it really has such a rich history. It has not been treated well. You know, Union is one of those streets in Memphis that has not been treated very well, but it's got a rich his- history. If you go way back and look at um, the city when all of our mass transit was trolley. So when the trolley lines went in in the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, We had trolley lines going up and down Madison, up and down, or I should say east and west, out Madison, uh, Poplar, uh, Peabody, even on Central, but Union did not have a trolley line. And that that actually goes back to the Crump administration back in the 1880s, 1890s, where um, he kind of held out, hoping that at some point, because all the trolley lines were privately owned in those days, they were not consolidated and Crump wanted uh, eventually to, to spare Union for a competing trolley line that would be owned by the city. So he held out. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Union was uh, – no trolley lines were built along Union. In fact, actually, there was a trolley line that went, to, went along Union through downtown but stopped at Marshall. So that little yeah. corner at Marshall – where uh, Sun Studios is now. The trolley line stopped there, and then it went south from there, and then eventually ended up onto Peabody and went out. So the idea was that at some point Union would have a city-owned trolley system, but eventually the automobile kind of took over from there. And uh, in 1924, the city put together its first comprehensive plan. And as part of that plan, the idea had been to make Madison the main route that went from downtown, all the way out east. And if you look at the map and you look at the history of Madison Avenue, that would make sense because, you know, at Madison in front, the addresses started at zero. They go north, they go south, and, of course, they go east. It makes sense that Madison would have been the main thoroughfare that went out east. However, Hmm. Madison Avenue had a trolley line. Union was already wide enough. It was already used for vehicular traffic. So in 1924, Union had its first expansion. First widening. Haven't gotten that far in the history of that part of it just yet, but it was widened enough for two lanes going each way. Okay. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is that as, you know, as we look at Union, Union back in the 1910, 15, 1920s looked a little bit more like Peabody than what we know as Union today. Mansions, as you, as you mentioned, a lot of mansions, mm. a few storefronts here and there. And in the 1920s, some storefronts were beginning to be built. So, a lot of the storefronts that we know, the older storefronts where the Wild Smith drugstore is, for example, or was just demolished just recently, those were built in the 1920s.
0: So, do you have some pictures of that? I do. Like of the house and stuff. Okay, good. Because I'd really like to see them. And I think, so we'll put them at slash union. That'll be this week's show notes link. And so you can find all the pictures there.
1: Okay. It's really interesting to look at to look at union. Most of the pictures of union are either from the nineteen twenties or they jump forward to the nineteen fifties and sixties. Most pictures I've seen so far, anyway. Interesting. Whole host of photographs, I'm sure, out there that I have yet to discover.
0: Send them to us if you've got them, all you listeners. <laughs> Send them our way. Yeah, yeah, Or send, send them Mark's way at Storyboard or send them our way at Memphis Type History. We yeah. want to see them.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's fascinating to look at these pictures and, and look at Union as more of a quaint road.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine it that way. That's what's like, wait, Pixar didn't happen. Like, yeah. I cannot. <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it, it really is amazing. For example, the um, entrance to Central Gardens, the entrance gates on Belvedere, Belvedere and Union. That are now far back into Belvedere, past the fast food restaurant, past the Shell Station, they're more in to Belvedere. Those were right yeah. at Union. So mm-hmm. if you were going up and down Union, the entrance gates to to Belvedere and the Central Gardens were right there on top of the street. There were trees up and down the avenue. Um, there are more storefronts right on top of the avenue and small wow. storefronts, You know, a, a pig and whistle, a fortune's drive-in, the old Wild Smith, what, what we now know as Happy Day Laundry. All those things were up and down Union, and it was walkable. Imagine that. What? I know. that It's, it's interesting to me that we're looking at um, Memphis 3.0, and we're looking at the long-term vision for Union Avenue is to make it more bike-friendly and more pedestrian-friendly, well we're going back in time essentially when we look at that because that's what that's the way it was in the 30s 40s 50s even to a degree to the 60s you know it yeah. was it was still walkable central gardens history is filled with with residents who talk about walking to union and going to these various places you know going to get a milkshake you know going to the drugstore you know um and so on
0: i mean it'd be great parking is so hard if you're going somewhere in union <laughs>
1: It's well. That's an ongoing. Yeah, that's an ongoing battle too. But it, it is. It's amazing to look at Union Avenue in those days and look at really a beautiful streetscape. In the early '60s, it was widened again, uh, which I am. I am still dying to get into some of that history and see some of those old pictures to see the actual widening. Because if you look really closely at Union, and you look at the pictures from the 1950s. It's very difficult to pinpoint exactly where did they make those you know curb cuts, where did they expand, you know, um, was it on the north side of Union? I'm not exactly sure. It was were there places on the south side of Union where they made those cuts, you know, to widen the avenue? I'm not exactly sure. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of folks in city planning that have all these have all these archives that I can access at some point, but um, yeah. But it really is. It's it's amazing to see what it, what it used to used to look like, and that's why I've grown to feel sorry for Union Avenue versus looking at it with some kind of contempt. You know, one of the first things I wrote about when I started doing the blog originally, when it was before it was Storyboard, was um, I was right in the middle of reading a great book um, by Wanda uh, Rushing. Uh, it's called Memphis and the Paradox of Place, and mm. the idea of place is what is unique to a city, unique to a neighborhood, unique to a street, and she talks a lot about in that book uh, a sense of place. What makes Memphis Memphis, you know? I would look at Union, and I would look at, uh, and I think, well, that could be any town, any main street, any anywhere in the U.S. practically, when you look at the signage in the in the fast food places and the banks it could look at, look like any suburban street in in the US and i and i would i would write about the fact that you know union seems to have lost its sense of place madison no you go up and down parts of madison the the uh, parts of madison that are still intact uh, some of the old 1920s 30 storefronts and it still has a unique sense of place it still feels like what memphis used to feel like cooper cupper whatever you want to say <laughs> Um, still has that sense of place. Uh, the Cooper Young neighborhood has that sense of place. Uh, South Main, uh, Front Street, South Front Street, still has those, you know, those that sense of places. They're, they're still unique. You can you can look at some of those corners and realize this is exactly what it looked like, or close to what it looked like in the 1920s or 1930s. Mm-hmm. But then I looked at Union, not so much, almost desecrated, if you will, when you look at. So, I ask you
0: a question though, do you feel like Ha- having a sense of place is, is a precondition of that, that it retains some of its former self in some way?
1: Some of its former self partially, <clears throat> but also not overrun by another Kentucky Fried Chicken or, a, or another okay. Wendy's restaurant that you can see anywhere in the country. You know Those things, I think, is what contributes to, to losing a sense of place. Like an Olive Garden in the middle of Times Square for example. Right. If you're going to have Italian food in New York City, you should go where there's something authentic. Olive Garden is anywhere in the country. It it doesn't depend on a, of a place. Olive okay. Garden is Olive Garden. McDonald's is McDonald's. Wendy's is Wendy's, no matter where you go. So,
0: And I'm kind of taking, like we're just saying business names, but I'm also thinking it goes a little deeper than that. Like if it's a McDonald's, it's a McDonald's building like it's it it then leads into the architecture which i think is a huge element of sense of place.
1: Oh totally. Is
0: is that and so like i know we're kind of like na- like chains but i think chains bring like that generic architecture. I would say maybe a stronger component of that lack of place is the fact that like fast food chains all look the same. And so then it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you could, for example, put a McDonald's into a 1920 storefront and use the traditional storefronts signage, you'd still be retaining that storefront sense of place, but Mm -hmm. putting in, you know, a fast food chain. Whereas what typically happens is that, that storefront is torn down and, you know, in and, and any town, McDonald's goes in in its place. You know,
0: Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. I've seen several examples here in China of, um, I mean, Starbucks is huge here. Mm-hmm. I've seen several examples where they've integrated really well mm-hmm. with the architecture of where that store is. And I, as much as I don't, uh, drink Starbucks. It's not my favorite thing really. Um, but I, I, I do appreciate like, well, it's probably going to be here anyway. At least they're not intrusive as a brand about it. They've kind of integrated their brand into the traditional Chinese building that's here on the street or whatever. Or like sometimes Starbucks is actually in Chinese, mm-hmm. um, things like that.
1: Yeah. And, and that's a really hard sell if you're a corporation. Yeah. And, you know,
0: because it's branding and
1: exactly, exactly. And you want to stand out from the rest, you know, and, uh, you know, when it comes to McDonald's, for example, everyone looks for the golden arches, right? Yeah. And if I were to, if I were a, a president or owner of a corporation, I'd want the same thing. I'd want my brand out there. I wouldn't want it to be integrated or, or enmeshed in, you know, the, the rest of the streetscape. I'd want it to stand out so so that's not to fault any corporation or any fast food chain for that. I think it's really up to a city when we start looking at that f- from from that perspective it's up to the city to keep retaining its sense of place mm. all the way down from all the way from residents all the way through city council commission you know um, city planning commissions to mayors and so on. It's up to the city to retain its sense of place
0: so I'm not certain, but I'm sensing. That there might be a turning point in the story for you about union, it's maybe a is it a i I thought union was the worst street, but
1: <laughs> i don't know i I hope so
0: well, have you discovered some i mean I see what you're saying, and i I certainly had the same feelings in many ways about union, I think when I first got to Memphis but I mean, the more I was on it, the more I went to different places, I mean, I could kind of see little bits of like, hey, actually, this is a little interesting. Like, this street is actually, like, it's inconvenient as a street in general, (laughs) but other than that, like, look at this building or look at this weird old store. I I can see flavor. I can see flavor on Union. I don't know the history behind the little places and all of that, but I mean... I think there's, there's definitely some stuff to Union.
1: There, there is. There's a lot. Um, there's a lot of great 1920s, 30s storefronts along Union. But if you think about the timing of things, 19, early 1920s, the new city plan had to establish a new route east. There was, no two, new, there was no 240. Union had already had the basic infrastructure to have a wide street that can accommodate vehicles right? And in those days, they were only going 30 miles an hour, so it felt like a safe enough avenue to provide that kind of transportation. And as a result, it became, one of the things I read in one of uh, Paul Kopic's books, it became, you know, Automobile Central, because if you think about the, the eastern migration of Memphis from the 1920s on, Union was the avenue that you know, it allowed you to just drive east. You weren't going to drive necessarily along the trolley lines. You could, but if you wanted to quickly get east, you were going to take Union. Hmm. So as a result, all the development that went into Union had to be vehicle-centric. It had to, it had to provide some parking, you know, and right off the street parking. So as a result, you have these beautiful storefronts that were built, era storefronts, 1920s, 1930s era storefronts that were built, but they were built off the street, so you could easily pull in and park. That makes perfect sense, right? That's what I find. I think I think that might be what you're talking about, how some of those storefronts are interesting. But then you look at Union and you realize, I can't walk this thing. I mean, I can if I want to take my, my life into my hands, you know, unless I'm walking right along the storefronts. But then again, you know, they, they weren't really built for walking. The Union was built and widened for traffic but there are all those little pieces that are so interesting along union it's it's almost as if you you don't know how to address that kind of problem you don't know how to address what occurred in the 1920s as far as the building of or the um the develop the, the development of union avenue in those days you know it it's, it's very awkward it's not pedestrian friendly it never was.
0: It's interesting to me to realize, like, it was never intended to be. It's it's very interesting because the things that are maybe troublesome about it are intentional. It's doing what it was meant to do.
1: It's doing what it was meant to do when, <laughs> when when you were only traveling 25 or 30, 35 miles an hour at best.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, and when there were only two lanes each way.
0: Yeah. Do you know any of any of these little, like, the older buildings or any little pockets of history? Is there anything that you know that you could tell us about or, or a story or two? I like being told stories.
1: like being told <laughs> stories. Well, we did lose, we lost a couple of historic structures on it. And, and I, I have to use the term historic very loosely um, because they weren't on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't part of um, any kind of Midtown Historic District overlay, you know, which is the legislative arm that allows a a neighborhood to protect its historic structures. Um, so we lost, but we lost some old storefronts. We lost some 1920 storefronts just recently, um, partially due to fire and partially due to, to um, new development. And that's the old Wild Smith drugstore, which was there, gosh, since the 1940s or 50s, I believe, yeah. which, oh my gosh, I, um, there are hundreds, thousands of people who. Went to Wildsmith Drugstore. I got a milkshake.
0: So good.
1: Oh, yeah. And I, I, wish, I, I wish I had been here for that. I missed it because they, they closed their doors in either 2014 or 2015.
0: Yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah. And then a few doors down from there, you had the Happy Day Cleaners. Great sign. Yeah, a great sign. A great sign. And I, and I just learned recently that they, they would deliver your, your clothes to you.
0: That's so charming. I love it. Yeah, I
1: don't know how <laughs> recently that, that took place, but I learned that they delivered clothes. My wife's good friend um, worked there back in her high school days. So we're going back into the 80s and 90s, essentially. But she worked at Happy Day Cleaners. She would oh, yeah, yeah, they they would deliver your clothes for you. And, of course, they, they always advertised that one-day service that was on the sign, next-day service. But we lost those two structures. One was due to a fire, and um, the rest of the storefronts along That part of union were recently demolished. Most of them were vacant anyway, um, sold to a couple gentlemen. And, um, you know, it makes sense that they would want to redevelop that property. But what's interesting to me, too, is to look at another corner right there, Roselle and Belvedere. So a union between Roselle and Belvedere. But (laughs) that corner, which is so troublesome right now with, with the Shell station and then the car wash, which God love them as far as you, if you own that car, I would love to own that car wash, you know. Um, but it sits up right right up against, um, you know, Central Gardens residence and right in people's backyards. Well, that property was the old Midwest Dairy or Fortunes drive-in. Oh, interesting. And that has a whole great little history to it as well. But that old Midwest uh, dairy went away in the 1980s. Another one of those battles that were fought and lost to developers. Why are
0: all these dairy farms and dairy things in Midtown? Do you know that? Do you know why? <laughs>
1: Do I know why? Yeah, I don't let you're talking about the... the
0: <laughs> There's this always cow-related something whenever I'm looking at... Well,
1: they are necessary <laughs> uh, entities, right?
0: It's just funny. I Now it's funny. It's like this is the middle of the city. Yeah, what is this? But it wasn't, you know, back then.
1: But it wasn't, and, and, and every every little town had its had its own local dairy and a drive through, yeah. you know, drive through dairy. I mean, it's hugely convenient and it's quaint, you know, but it's of a different era, really. You yeah. know, same thing with the Turner Dairy, the Turner Prairie um, Farms Dairy up there on Madison. Same thing. You know, it, it, it had its quaint history with the little trucks and deliveries and the drive through and all those things. But um, that's of a different era. Mm. Like anything else, you know, you, your business does well. You want to expand your business and eventually your business expands to different states and becomes regionalized and so on and so on. And you've got yourself, instead of a little quaint little midtown or neighborhood dairy, you've got yourself a distribution center, you know. Yeah. You know, then does not fit a little town. Right. But why the Midwest Dairies, why they left that property, I don't exactly know. But I just find it interesting that that fits the mold of what the rest of Union was in the 30s, 40s, 50s, which was still small town. You know, living in Central Gardens, um, I'm lucky enough to be able to do a, a, usually a monthly history, and I kind of pick a different era or a different topic when it comes to Central Gardens history, and, and Union Avenue happens to be the one recently. So Barbara Weiser has a great book called uh, Stories of a Neighborhood, and in that book she talks about, because she did, she did hi, exhaustive history uh, uh, interviews and research on the history of Central Gardens, interviewed tons of people, and they all talk about growing up in Midtown, and, and again walking up to Union and visiting mm-hmm. these these local establishments, which were family-owned a few streets over on Barksdale, um, one of the first Piggly Wigglies was on Barksdale, which now is a new development or new word development um, they call Peabody Green, which um, is on the property that was the parking lot of the old Central Library, which is right there on McLean, McLean and Peabody. That's a whole other history that is, that is wonderful. If you look at the history of that corner. You know, right there, it went from a, a farmhouse to a few smaller houses. Then, eventually, nineteen fifty-five, it was the new central library, the main library, and then, of course, that outgrew Memphis. That was uh, relocated out to uh, East Memphis, where it is now, of course. But that's a whole other history that is just amazing. You know, but uh, that little stretch of bark sale right there. Uh, was one of the first Piggly Wigglies back in the 30s and 40s.
0: Very cool. Where are you taking us next?
1: Well, let's see. Another another little thing that I uncovered, um, which is really fun, is that uh, the, that corner on McLean and Peabody that is now the Starbucks. If I had an audience, I would ask, who knows what that used to be? <laughs> it was the Poncho's.
0: Oh, Poncho's. Pon- yeah,
1: it was one of the Poncho's restaurants, which um, shut its doors think 1999 is what i had but that was the old ponchos and of course not being from memphis i had no idea what ponchos was all about except for the fact that they had this great cheese sauce in the you know <laughs> kroger refrigerated section right yeah. so uh my wife <laughs> introduced me. that was one of the things my wife introduced me to like you got you gotta try ponchos because you can't get ponchos cheese dip anywhere else right yeah and oh yeah it's quite addicting but but i did not know of course until i until talking to various people and, and talking to her that poncho's was a restaurant you know so poncho's that was one of the one of the poncho's restaurant was right there on on mclean and peabody another one is out on um way out on summer avenue and then the other one of course in uh in west memphis right on the other side of the river uh, I have yet to visit Poncho's.
0: I went as a kid.
1: You went as? A, did you go the West Memphis one? Did you go the one on McLean?
0: I really don't remember. I was really little. Uh-huh. But my my mom is from Memphis, and they my mom and dad lived there when they were younger. And so I went at some point as a kid. I just don't I don't remember which one, but I remember mm-hmm. going and and I rem- I remember seeing the sign going be like, oh, it's ponchos and talking about ponchos. She <laughs> uh, loved that place. <laughs>
1: yeah, I I need to go there. But it, it's it's funny growing up in California. Um, you know, we had two types of Mexican food, so to speak. Growing up there, we had Americanized Mexican food, which was like yeah. the Taco Bell, and uh, um, and you had um, it was a little bit like how they describe ponchos. Um, so not necessarily real authentic you know, Mexican cuisine necessarily, but it's yeah, kind of yeah, an Americanized yeah. version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's how I've <laughs> learned that's how I've learned that, that Poncho's was kinda like that.
0: Tons of cheese, tons of yeah, it's just yeah.
1: <laughs> tons of cheese, tons of sauce. If you mix it all it, it all tastes the same if you mix it all together on your plate, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The plates come out hot. Don't touch it, you know.
0: Oh man. Yeah. I'm getting hungry. Mhm.
1: That's that is what's so fascinating to me about um about Midtown is it has that history so it's not just union it's you know I've 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 started to to delve into the history of Madison Avenue in Midtown which is equally as fascinating
0: Yeah let's do Madison I love Madison
1: Yeah so Madison <laughs> that is what um Madison Avenue is kind of what got me on the Memphis map if you were to coin a phrase because um that's it that Madison is what attracted me or what Fascinated me the most when I first got here.
0: Why? Because of oh, the here we
1: because go. <laughs> of the fact that it was it was a, a streetcar neighborhood. Okay. Uh, in Midtown, a streetcar neighborhood, and the, the discovery that um, that the curvature in in Overton Square on Madison and Cooper on the um, on the south side of Madison and Cooper there, the curvature in the buildings represents the curvature of the trolley line.
0: Ah. So this is interesting because we're talking about, we've talked about a street made for cars, really, I guess. Uh, It's sort of, you know, maybe a streetcar would have been put in, but pretty much developed for cars. And now a street developed for streetcars.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Interesting. And the same same applies because the the Madison, it it was called the East End Railway, uh, East End Line or Dummy Line, they used to call it. But that went from Madison all the way out to Cooper and then made a right turn at Cooper, went down, it went south, and then it made a, a left turn at Young, um, which there's the same curvature. If you think of that mm-hmm. corner at Cooper-Young, okay. you have the same curvature in the buildings that right there in the, in the storefronts as the trolley line would have turned going from south Cooper, it would have turned left and went and traveled east on Young and then went out to the fairgrounds um but um anyway i i I became fascinated with madison avenue and that is one of the things that kind of um uh endeared myself i guess to memphis residents long-term residents is when i kept talking about madison avenue and i you know i'm really i felt like a kid wide-eyed you know looking at oh madison is is this and this it's got these great storefronts it's got this great history of of the streetcar it's um it's still um in terms of traffic flow it's still slow enough and i had no idea i had at the time did not know about the history of the bike lanes on madison avenue which is a whole nother controversy right
0: (laughs) we've had enough controversy today so we'll just
1: (laughs) memphis and controversy (laughs) kind of kind of go hand in hand don't they
0: Oh, yeah. And I'm being silly. If people want to get mad about anything we've talked about here, they can just, I don't know, send me an email. Right. And I may or may not answer you.
1: <laughs> but Madison, um, I'll start with, for example, one of the, the more iconic places in Madison that is now long gone that you know, you know much more than I do, which is the old Andertons.
0: Yeah, Andertons. We just did a show on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and – um you know, all I knew of Anderton's is that, well, the first thing I realized is it's gone, first of all. And then the second thing I learned was that everybody had to go to Anderton's, you know, is one of those places Yeah. that at one point had this great um, waiter or I guess it was waiter service. Now you say you have to say um, server, can't say waiter or waitress anymore, right? And then this great bar, you know. That's the other thing I learned about Anderson, it had this great bar. And then someone said, You know, that bar still exists somewhere. And I went, Really? The bar at mm-hmm. Anderson's is still around? They said, Oh yeah, it's out it's out on Broad Avenue at the Cove, you know. So at one point I finally got to the cove and and uh, realized that not just the bar is at the cove, <laughs> yeah. but some of the booths, right? You know
0: Yeah. Basically Andertons is at the not entirely but <laughs>
1: half of the interior of, of Anderson's yeah. is at the cove, yeah. So in, dis- in, in kind of discovering the history of Madison Avenue and then delving into some of these long gone establishments or some of the places that are still there, like Zinni's, for example, for me, Memphis kind of developed a mythic quality. Mm. And when something has some a mythic quality to it, you, you can never uncover it enough. Every time you peel another layer, another layer comes up, you know. So Madison really is what started for me my fascination with Memphis is if you go from Memphis down, or Madison downtown all the way out into Midtown, you know, you've got yourself a pretty good history of Memphis right there. Can
0: you walk us through it?
1: Do we, we don't, I don't think we have enough time for that. Well,
0: briefly, <laughs> for people, let's say if someone wanted to do that drive— to try to see what you're saying, you have a history of Memphis and that drive, what would, what, would they, what would be helpful for them to know? What should they be looking for?
1: Yeah. Well, first thing I would do is I would, I would tell them, go down to Front Street, go down to Front Madison and stand there at the, um, the U of M law building, which was used to be the federal building, I believe, and stand at the stone, I don't know what you call that, that thing, that square thing that's round, that's made of concrete, that's got stamps in it, <laughs> i don't know
0: <laughs> that works <laughs> what?
1: but it, it talks about it talks about the, the 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 address all the addresses in in memphis begin right there so they start at zero from that point point. and if you were to strictly go from there east along madison the addresses keep going up and up and up which was really helpful for me as a newcomer to realize that um the addresses here mean something, you know. In California, this is a, the quirkiest thing, but in California, addresses didn't really mean a whole lot. If hmm. you said, you know, uh, 12123 Pacific Coast Highway, I'm like, I, I, I have no idea where that is. If you tell me a cross street, I can kind of figure it out. Okay, but here addresses mean something. So if you say, you know, uh, 1480 Madison, oh, I know where that is. If you say 1700 Madison, I know where that is. You know, same thing uh, in Central Gardens or in the rest of Midtown. The 1400, the 15, 16, 1700 blocks mean something, right? Yeah. And I learned that, you know, going back down to Madison in downtown. So you, you start there. And, you know, there's a lot of that you can walk. You know, you can walk all the way essentially to Danny Thomas Boulevard. But along that Madison walk... You walk past, uh, main street, you walk past second Avenue. And then from there you go to, uh, BB King Boulevard, which is third street, right? Um, you pass, uh, the, the the now Napoleon hotel, which is a gorgeous building. You pass the Steric building, which is right there, the, the Mm -hmm. empty and classic Steric building. You walk past the back of the Avada zone ballpark, you know, um, And it's interesting, you can also see where the roadway was built to go over Danny Thomas Boulevard right there and then goes into the Medical District and the Edge District. Um, There past Marshall and then right there by the um, Sam Phillips Recording Studio. And then you go into the the Medical District. You, You go past Health Services Park, the old Bedford Forest Park. And then you go into the Medical District Speaking of ballparks, right there in the medical district along uh, essentially the corner of Madison on Pauline, which is where the old Rustwood ballpark used to be, which burned down in 1961, 60, 61, I believe. From there, it kind of the, Madison kind of continues in fits and starts. There's some, some, uh, some parking lots, some older structures, there's some newer structures, and then you get into the corner of Cleveland and Madison, which has got some great old storefronts. And if you continue on from there, uh, and through all this, the trolley line continues. So the trolley tracks are all the way through from downtown, uh, at Maine and Madison and they kind of terminate, they kind of, they kind of disappear out of sight. Uh, if you, when you pass, when you pass Cleveland, you keep driving along that corridor and suddenly no more trolley tracks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then past, uh. the the old laundry, but then you get into where Minglewood Hall is and you've got yourself some, again, some traditional storefronts and it's all those fits and starts where I realized that Madison in those fits and starts still, still has going back to that sense of place, still feels like parts of old Memphis, Mm -hmm. you know, old as in 1920s, you know, Memphis when it was a streetcar neighborhood. You know, you go through Madison Heights, you go through the old Idlewild uh, neighborhood, um, and then you're, then next thing you know, you're, you're passing Huey's and, and then you're into Overton Square, you know.
0: Yeah. Which is great. Overton Square is so much history.
1: (laughs) So much history. Uh, Another little, um, uh, something I discovered in your, in your work Is with the old French Quarter Hotel right there on the corner. Yeah, Madison and Cooper, which is now Ballet Memphis.
0: Yeah, we even have have some photographers that will go with contributing writers sometimes and, like, take pictures of stuff. And so they went and documented right before. So it's kind of interesting because it's, you know, abandoned, the abandoned pictures of it. But, um, yeah, that place, I mean, people have so – we get so many stories of people talking about – that place and the club it was before, which was um, Solomon Alfred's or Alfred's or some Depends on time period, who calls it what. But um, it was that before, I think. So what about – we're back in, in Midtown on Madison. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite stories and things that you've discovered?
1: So um, first of all, there's a whole history of Midtown that I have yet to – uh, really delve into, which is folks who um, kind of grew up, and I say grew up as in probably their drinking years, early drinking years, who grew up around uh, when the Fridays went in in Overton Square. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love hearing, again, this is where, for me, Memphis has a mythic quality, um, hearing stories of, well, I grew up in Midtown. Oh, Wow, you know, you grew up in Midtown, or I grew up in East Memphis. There's, there's, there's a thing, you know, that's a thing. I grew up here. I grew, I'm a Midtowner. I grew up in Midtown. That's an entire history that I've yet to. That's a, that's a part of an onion I have not even gotten to yet. But one of the more recent stories I did was on a house on uh, the corner of uh, of Auburndale and Madison, seventeen twenty six, and um, my tax attorney, Bruce Newman. It's his building. And a uh, little over a year ago, he asked if I would do a little history of, of the house. And of course, you know, I said a yes. And it took me it took me quite some time. But I discovered with this house that, it, and it's just a four square house. You know, you wouldn't look at it twice if you drove past it. Most people don't. But as it turns out, there was uh, the first owner of the house was someone named Christopher Hotum, H O T T U M. You know, I, I kept kept up the research. Kept looking at the, the other corners of that part of town. I was almost ready to finish the story. And you know, with any story, you try to find really good beginning, middle, and end. You know, yeah. what's what's gonna draw in the reader, you know, what what kind of emotional hook can you give the story and all that. And I thought, okay, I think I got it. But I, I, I need to do I need to check a few things and do some more research before I finish this up. And I opened up one of Paul Kopic's books. And discovered this guy Christopher Hottam, was kind of a crazy man. He first of all he owned—you didn't call it a saloon quite in those days because you couldn't—but he um, he was a shop owner, a saloon owner, had a place on on Madison, one nineteen Madison. But as it turns out, he was quite a little daredevil in his in his time, from the late eighteen hundreds to nineteen. 19- teens 1920s he put on um swim marathons up and down the mississippi river he had he carried on steamboat races all right he was challenged to jump jump off the harahan bridge because he was told that if you jump on anyone who jumps off that bridge is going to die well he said well i'm going to do it i'm going to show you (laughs) but <laughs> it can be done. So he jumped off the bridge, and he became known for the guy who jumped off the Heron Bridge. may have been the wow. Frisco Bridge, but um, anyway, one of the three bridges. Right,
0: right, right. He jumped off a bridge. I don't care which one.
1: <laughs> and he was um, a wrestling. Like it, There wasn't really much to Memphis wrestling back in the 1920s and 30s, but he promoted wrestling. He, Interesting. Um, he was the last promoter for the last bare-knuckle fight in Mississippi. That they have on wow. record. So he was this crazy promoter, uh, shop owner, saloon owner, and he was the first owner of this house.
0: Wow! Did he build it? Did he like have it built, or he just
1: probably had it built,
0: right? But okay. that's
1: one little piece that I, I haven't put it all together yet. But okay. You now it's funny you talk to you talk to your local historians. You talk to you know Wayne Dowdy or you know, Willie Bearden or Jimmy Ogle, and, they, and you might say, you know, Christopher Hottam and they'll say, oh, yeah, I, I remember. I've I read about that guy. But for most people, that name is, is off in the ether. You know, there was a little clipping in the commercial appeal when he passed away at, at 90 years old or whatever. Um, this, you know, Memphis promoter who was, you know, uh, crazy in his own way, you know, a promoter who passed away, he, he did all these things into his 70s and then got hit, wow. got hit by a car in front of the Peabody Hotel. What? And was an invalid for the last 10 or, 10 or so years of his life and in, wow. a, in a house in South Memphis.
0: To do all those things and then just be crossing a street.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that, again, talk about this mythic quality that Memphis has.
0: Yeah, it's like even in even in a random house.
1: Even in a like, random. It's like wait. Yeah. A
0: giant lived here. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. A giant in the day, you know, lived yeah. in, lived in this little house. And then, you know, as it turns out, um, the the medical building right across Auburndale from from this house is where Elvis got his drugs.
0: Oh. Elvis connection? Yeah, so All right. and that was
1: <laughs> so of course. Well,
0: the, we'll take it, I guess. <laughs>
1: there's always an Elvis connection somewhere. Man. So that was uh, that was Doctor Nick. Okay. So the infamous Doctor Nick was right across the Ooh. street from this house. So, anyway, it, it's, it. That is what's so fascinating to me is that you know everywhere you look in Memphis, something crazy, mythical, uh, whatever happened. There's a whole other side to some of the incredibly tragic things that have occurred here. That's a whole other piece that I want to explore at some point. But for now, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I use the term immersed again, uh meshed in, in, in the 20th century history.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Of Memphis, mostly, you know, mostly Midtown, mostly downtown and all that for the most part. Interesting. Um, but yeah, but and the other thing that I find so, so amazing and it, that it contributes to this mythology is the fact that there are connections everywhere.
0: yeah. You just go down rabbit holes.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it is. It's, it, it, it's, it's fascinating. Bruce is a, um, who owns the house now. He's also an entertainment lawyer. What? Yeah. So that was the final. That is
0: just, that's funny. I, I don't even know what word to use. That's two something. <laughs> yeah.
1: That was the final connection that I, in terms of, you know, wrapping a bow around the story, that was it. Like, oh, this is just too good. You couldn't, I couldn't make this stuff up, you know, to find after all that, all that, after a year of research to kind of uncover this little tidbit, which turned out to be a huge tidbit, to realize that, you know, someone in entertainment in his own way, another entertainment promoter, you know, and now almost a hundred years later, you know, another one. So, um. Yeah, I mean those those are the things, and and that, like I said, contributes to, to the mythology that I find here in Memphis. But it it's it's not myth; that actually happened. You know, um, for me, it's mythological. You know, being an outsider, you know, looking in, it has the it has the it it has that mythology to it. But for those who were here, it it happened. You know. Um, yeah. And that's actually where I'd like to hold on to my outsider status as long as I can, because I keep looking at it with fresh eyes, you know, like a, like a kid, you know, exploring a a new pop-up book, like, wow, look at all this. Every page you turn, there's there's something new and something amazing.
0: I like that. And I think, I think that's what, I mean, there are plenty of insiders that feel that way, but there are a lot of outsiders. I think that really see just see Memphis with a different set of eyes yeah. mm-hmm. and we've got a lot of listeners and, and I mean we've had a lot of blog and book readers who people who were born here and s- kind of still have do have that spirit of like discovery and exploration about Memphis for sure but it's definitely something I see a lot with transplants
1: <laughs> yeah I, I see it with um I see with transplants um I do see it with people who grew up here. I see it with people who grew up here, left, and then have come and back. came back. Yeah. I see that a lot. People who have left and, and have come back have a, a whole new appreciation for Memphis that they didn't have before. Um, it also is, is you know just so happens that you know this is a great time as far as being in Memphis because of the the, the changes, the growth. I mean, sitting here in crosstown, what this was. And the fact that this place sat empty for 20 years or whatever, to me, and this is why it was so really cool that I could get this spot. Thank you, Gil.
0: <laughs> yes, thank you. Sears Crosstown,
1: the, this building has its own mythology and its own amazing history and it's reborn. And that's, that's, that's the only thing I'm seeing with Memphis. There's a lot of places that are being reborn, you know, mm. ideas are being reborn. And, um, and people who have left and come back are seeing that, you know. Yeah. Which is a beautiful thing.
0: So is there anything else that you were intending to tell us about Midtown?
1: Next, next podcast. How's that?
0: All right. Well, I've got a couple, well, not a couple, a few fun questions to ask you. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh-oh. If you had to spend eternity in one Memphis neighborhood forevermore, which one would you choose?
1: Um, My own Central Gardens neighborhood. Put in a plug for my for na- my neighborhood, but yeah, it. Uh, I feel very lucky to to have landed there. You know, I mean, oh my gosh, it, it's it's pretty amazing.
0: So what about it? Why would you Why would you be willing to spend eternity there?
1: Well, we do have all four seasons. That's a plus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can walk. And I'm I would imagine in, in, in eternity I I would not have a car, I would I would think, you know, but I would I would have to walk, I would imagine. And so, you know, there in uh in Central Gardens I can I can walk anywhere. I can experience the the beautiful foliage in the fall and I can experience a random snowfall every now and then. I can see um everything turn green in the springtime, I can see the uh the lightning bugs in the in, you know in June. Um, it's got it all. All
0: right. You must now legally change your first name and it has to be a Memphis street. Which one do you choose?
1: Oh boy. We have a cat named Cooper, so I can't take that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pick something random. Auburndale. I don't know. <laughs> all right.
0: Auburndale Fleischer.
1: Definitely not Peabody. <laughs> but I don't want to be called Mr. Peabody. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's a mouthful. All right. If you wrote a screenplay about a Memphis neighborhood, which home in that neighborhood would be the protagonist?
1: Which home would be the protagonist? The Crump House. All right. That would be a protagonist. Yeah. That's an that's almost <laughs> an get, easy one when you think about it. Yeah.
0: You get a lot of script out of that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Last one. You have unlimited funds to create anything you want on one street in Memphis. What would you create... And where would it be located
1: golly i I love Madison, but i I have this pity for uh union
0: <laughs> poor union man <laughs> poor union
1: I do I have this renewed you know sense of poor union needs my attention, and Madison's got its own elements, Peabody's fine, central's fine. I think I need to do something on union <laughs>
0: all right, what would it be
1: um well, I'm sorry Wendy's and McDonald's and, and all that, but you're going away. I'm sorry all the bank drive-thrus. I'm sorry uh, about the Panera drive-through, but
0: You can take it. If you're putting something awesome, you can take it. It's all going. I'll give it to you. It's all going.
1: <laughs> and I'm restoring um I'm restoring some of the old mansions and um I'm restoring some of the old storefronts. Um returning I, I'm I'm actually doing something that was never done. I'm putting a trolley line through it because oh. it, it, Union wanted, it's told me, Union wanted a trolley line, but never got it. And, yeah. it, and it became paved over and, and automobilized. So it's <laughs> going to get its trolley line that it is, that it deserves. How's that? All right. There you go. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah.
0: That sounds awesome. Someone should, should work that out. So that we can uh, have a trolley on Union and have some old buildings with some cool stuff inside them.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: Yep. So then tell us what you're working on next. What can people find on Storyboard? Uh, StoryboardMemphis.com is where they can go. What kind of stuff are you doing currently? What's upcoming?
1: Upcoming. There's a lot upcoming. Um, I'm working on a little appreciation, a new appreciation for mid-century architecture which uh, got a lot of contributors on that one just in terms of understanding because I myself, I don't appreciate, I'm I'm not one of those ones who really appreciates, understands mid-century architecture, but we have a lot of of beautiful mid-century architecture in Memphis. So an appreciation for mid-century architecture.
0: Yeah, we did an episode on that. Yeah, yeah. And I learned so much. I'll link to it in the show notes.
1: Yeah, so I'm doing a little, yeah, an, an appreciation for that. Um, and some of the things that we've lost. Also, um, I'm doing kind of a thesis statement on 1920 storefronts and how unique they are to Memphis. So if if we have something, if we have a Memphis commercial style of architecture, if we have one, what what does it look like? Is is there such a thing? I'm completing um, my story on the Fuel Cafe and the history of that corner. Mm -hmm. The warehouse district in... uh, down on front. doing a little little history of that. What else do I have going on? Uh, there's a. I'm exploring the idea of putting it in print. That's all I want to oh, say about exciting.
0: that. Oh, exciting! Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: that that um, I've gotten some interesting feedback from folks about print, especially with the fact that uh, we've um, our commercial appeal is not what it used to be. Yeah. So yeah, we're getting um, getting some feedback on. The possibility of – or the idea of putting something in print. Cool. Yeah.
0: Well, everybody, uh, head over to storyboardmemphis.com. There's a lot of really good stuff over there. Yeah, I, lo- I love it. I mean, great resource and a great take on things. I just like you definitely take a scholarly, like more research-oriented approach for sure and really get into the details, which I find really I, I love that. That's great. It's a ton of work, and it's clear you put so much work into every piece you publish. Show notes for this episode are com slash union, which is this week's show notes with all the cool pictures Mark promised us and loads of links. Uh, I've got tons of notes of like past podcast episodes that if you like this episode, you're going to like these episodes. They're related Uh, links to several authors uh, and books that he mentioned. So head there. There's going to be a lot in show notes this week. Well, you've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast.
1: We like your type.
0: You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. It would mean so much to us if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. Want to be part of Memphis Type History and get behind-the-scenes content, merch, and more? Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash memphistypehistory. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash History. Find more Memphis Type History on our blog at memphistypehistory.com, on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Memphis Type History, and on Twitter at memphistype.